You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm a writer and producer. I live in Pasadena, California. I'm married with two boys, a husband, and a dog. Hmm. I'm Liz Dolan. I live in Santa Monica, California. I'm an on-again, off-again corporate executive. Uh, I'm the middle sister, and I have a dog, too. His name is Hooper. Hey, this is Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I'm without a dog for the moment. Uh, I live in Dallas, Texas, but I've lived and worked in a lot of unusual places around the world. I am an empty nester, an urban nana, and I'm happy to be with you. We have a a great show today, but it's a serious show because it's been a serious couple of weeks, and we have um, our book club this week, which is a kind of a serious topic. So we're glad that you're with us. We're glad that we could connect after such a tough week of violence and hate in this country, and we hope that listening to the next hour gives you some hope and some inspiration and just that sense of connection, which is important. Right. Sometimes that's all you can do is connect with each other. You know, we try to be a pep talk, but there are some weeks we just don't feel that peppy. So we'll do what we can. We are all here together. That's right. Uh, Later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Maureen Cavanaugh. Her startling memoir is called If You Love Me. It's the story of her daughter's opioid addiction. We know that there are people in our Satellite Sisters community that have been through this. And there are people in your community right now that are going through this. It's an extraordinary memoir, Liz. It's so wrong. I mean, it just takes you right into the middle of what these families experience. And for them, it's a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute. That was the shocking part to me. It's like you're never in the clear, which you kind of know that about addicts, but it is the minute-by-minute way things can change in their lives. That was really a surprise to me. So we'll be talking to Maureen, who, you know, watched her daughter go through this, lived with her daughter, uh, who's still going through it. And uh, but then she became an accidental advocate. And now she runs a support group that is nationwide. And she's done extraordinary things with this very tough situation. So Maureen will be coming up later on in the show. Also, we have a couple of Halloween notes we're going to get to. Uh, Mm And I found a new unexpected source of joy in my life. Okay, Liz, You're going to be surprised. I didn't even tell you guys what it was. All right. You're going to be surprised. Okay, so this is it. We're all in this together on this week's Satellite Sisters. But we are going to talk about what happened over the weekend. Well, it was just a terrible week last week. First, there were the shootings in Kentucky that appear to be linked to, you know, African Americans that they were targeted. And then there were the package bombs. And then mm-hmm. the startling and shocking news oh. about the the shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, just an act filled with such hatred. Such hate. I mean, you can't even, you just can't even read about the victims without thinking, how did we get to this right. place? Yeah. Right. How do right. we get to this place? It is terrifying. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. Last Friday, I was at a funeral uh, for a friend of mine's mom, and and she was 82, and I thought, well, this is a lesson in a life well lived. You know, there were many people there to celebrate her life, and her grandchildren all spoke, and her she had three sons. Julie, I thought of you because she had three sons, and they all said really nice things about her. And I was like, <laughs> I got to get to so work. there's hope. For us, I got to get to work. As, I got as I, mothers of sons. Yeah. You know, you do think about that from time to time. I mean, 
they sons love their mothers in a very you know profound way. Uh, so that's nice. That's nice to hear, Liam. But yeah. it did. It made me think like I got to get to work reaching out to my family and friends more. So, uh, you know, I have this this yeah. turnout, this nice this nice feeling at my funeral. But then, when you're at a joyful funeral, yeah. it can be a very beautiful thing. It, it was. It was inspirational. And then the next morning, the news about the shootings at the synagogue. And all, so many of those people were older Americans. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I just thought, what a tragedy to have gotten to a place where you're that married couple, married 62 years, to have gotten to a place and then not be able to control how you exit this world. Yeah, I, I just... I, I like many of you, I'm sure, just stuck in a cycle of sadness. Some tears right. this weekend. It's sort of hard. Yeah, because I just keep thinking there are no words to describe the horror of something like that. And yet you kind of have to try to find the words because it's important that we talk about it and put a name to it. Um, the rise of anti-Semitism is something that we have to talk about and recognize. Mm-hmm. So there's the personal story here for these families and this community in Pittsburgh and all the, the community of that synagogue. But then there are the larger issues that we can't just say, oh, it's it's too unspeakable. We can't talk about it. Right, right. We do have to talk about it. I think it, in, it was all, you know, if the horror and of the anti-Semitism wasn't enough, you know, just it was punctuated by being in the synagogue. There were people practicing their faith, you know, mm-hmm. in their in the place of faith and that those are no longer safe places, that that is not, you know, that there's no fundamental respect for that um, is something we have to you know, on a personal level, just stand up and say no to, you know, we know we have to respect that, you know, we have to, you have to, you have to go out and respect, you know, people of all faiths. So it was so traumatic. And, And you're right, the personal bios, you know, they, you know, they're, it is always tragic when you read about people that are killed in an untimely and hateful way. But I was really struck, of course, with the grandfather, the brand new grandfather of the eight eight day old baby, you know, that he will never know the joys that I have known as a grandparent and that that, you know, that his life was was, you know, ended in such a awful way. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, well, um, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Nancy Burke, who I've talked about on this show before, and she co-hosted the podcast, The College Bound Chronicles, with me. Nancy is a psychologist. Uh, she's also Jewish. She also lives in Pittsburgh. So, you know, when you hear about these tragedies, you reach out to people right away. Are you OK? What's happening? I was actually grateful to see right away on Facebook. She posted that she was safe. So uh, but that's also a terrible thing. It's to a terrible to thing do. that that's a thing. So yeah, right. uh, and um she did not. That was not her synagogue. She goes to another synagogue in Pittsburgh, but there were her husband's a doctor. She's a psychologist. There were several doctors that were killed there that I'm sure that she was connected with in the community. And as a result, she wrote a really astounding piece for Parade magazine, very quickly turned it around. She writes regularly for Parade, uh, but it's usually about show business. But this time it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was about you know, some of the small things we could do in the near future to help us get through this. And I shared it on the Satellite Sisters Facebook page. But some of them, Julie, were what you were talking about, just, you know, reaching out to people of other faiths, trying to share their experience, maybe going to a synagogue or going to a service, learning about other people's faith. Now would be the time to do that. It's okay to do that. You've seen 
photos of synagogues all over the country that have been packed with visitors of all faiths this right. week. And of the mosques around Pittsburgh that have raised money and reached out to the Jewish community there, too. Uh, right. Nancy also suggested just, you know, intentional acts of kindness. I know it seems like a tiny thing to do in light of this huge tragedy and and things like, oh, my gosh, anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. hate, national debate, gun control, all those giant umbrella issues. But maybe, you know, just single acts of kindness. This would be the time to do that. And one of the things she said, too, was what if we vowed to really pay attention, to put down the cell phones and other devices and to show our children what it's like to be kinder, more patient and more accepting? And I thought that was just an interesting. Yeah, because that's in the realm of doable. Do you remember back in the day when Dr. Pam Forney, our envoy of civility, was on the show every week, you know, when he wrote the book Choosing Civility? Um, One of the things he says in that book is every act of kindness is, first of all, an act of attention. And I think that's so true. And I think tragedies like this remind you to really just be present with people, whether Uh they are your friends or family or just the individuals you encounter as you go about your life, to just be that act of attention is itself a kindness. We can do that. Right. You know, I heard the rabbi from the Tree of Life um, synagogue yesterday, and one of the things he was saying is zip it. That's that's what he said at one point. That's your advice most of the time. Just You know, I had heard a family counselor say the same thing, that just in your daily life, don't criticize anyone. Just mm-hmm. try that. Mm-hmm. Just try not to criticize anyone. And that we do need to look inward at what we can do and say and act to make it better. Um, but I, you know, I think those are excellent su- suggestions. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that Dr. Forney said is you need to be aware constantly that you're speaking to a living, breathing, vulnerable human being. All people, all the time. Yeah. Don't discount the power of your words. Do not cause unnecessary hurt. See, mm-hmm. zip it. Don't criticize it. It's zip the it. same thing. So, I feel a T-shirt says, coming I on. I was even thinking of our of our mom. You know that was, she had she had an expression which at times seemed, you know, irrational, but somehow it seems to make sense. Which is, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. And yes. that's not to ignore the big problems, divisions, but. You to be intentional, uh, just as you were saying, Liz, in you know, in your kindness, um, I think that's really important. And we've gotten to a point where our discourse is so coarse that we're not doing that, and we're mm-hmm. not changing any a single mind by the the you know no. the political discourse no. that's going on. Not a single person has changed. So clearly, just think about that. Yeah, you know? clearly, yeah, clearly. You know, um, as it happens, coming up on November 17th, we, the Satellite Sisters, are doing a holiday special about how to be around your friends and family and others over the holidays and bring your best self to it. And we really wanted to do something about communication and kindness and how we can get ourselves in the right mental space for the holidays. So it seems particularly timely right now. And our special guest for this episode is Alan Alda, who, you know, is so great and has his own podcast now called Clear and Vivid, which is all about the power of communication, the importance of communication. And his messages are always about empathy and the power of truly listening. 
Mm-hmm. And one of his one of the things he says is that we need to allow ourselves to be changed by the people that we are talking to, mm. which is a hard thing to think about even at the Thanksgiving table, right? right. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> want to hear your opinion one more time about that. But in the larger um, space of our whole nation, I think somehow we have to figure out how to do this. So anyway, that episode is dropping on November 17th. It's a special one on Friday. The idea is listen to this as you go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house for Thanksgiving, whether you're like passing through an airport, driving home, if we can all arrive with our family and friends at our holiday table, ready to be empathetic and listen, that would be a really good thing. Excellent, Liz. Yeah, he's an extraordinary guy. So that's, uh, I, yeah. He's an extraordinary man. And he's this has been his message for a long time. Yeah. I listened to when he was on the show like a dozen years ago. Same thing. It's the same thing. We love that about Alan Alda. So uh, anyway, so if you're subscribed to the show, you'll automatically get that in your feed. But if you're not subscribed, it's a good reason to subscribe. So, okay, can I just say, like, by Saturday afternoon, I personally was just... I was just looking for a new source of joy in my life. I just, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone. I just, I needed to get out of the house or just kind of get away from the news and the sadness. I even needed to get away from the World Series. I just needed to generally unplug. But when I go out for a walk, I always have my phone with me. So you find yourself, especially because I have the slowest dog in the world, you find yourself standing at the corner while, like, Hooper is poking around. All of a sudden, you're back on Twitter while you're walking your dog. That is not a good thing. So um, you know I've taken a firm anti-scooter stance. Mm-hmm. My neighborhood yes. is just— You tried it. You tried it, Liz. Mm-hmm. You, were, uh, mm-hmm. you survived it, uh, but you, you were, you know, pretty But never again, Julie. that right. you were never going to do that again. Yeah. Right. My neighborhood in Santa Monica is littered with birds, limes, lifts, jumps, really. Sco- scooters are the scourge of my neighborhood. It's so much so—I put this in the Facebook group. A young guy up the street—I love this. He's now running a repair shop in his garage for all the broken scooters around, like, <laughs> Bird appears to be paying him. I walked by the other night. He had a couple of dozen broken birds in his minivan and another dozen or so just on the lawn. And I said, how's business? He said, really good. Really good. (laughs) So anyway, so I'm never doing another scooter ride. But the Jump brand, they also have on-demand electric bikes around town now. And, you know, I went to that electric bike fair last year. Remember I talked about it on the show oh, yeah. where I got to right. test out right. all the brands. I thought, I could really enjoy this. But who wants to spend like a couple of thousand bucks right. on an electric bike? They're expensive. N- not me. So, But now they're all over town. So Saturday afternoon I thought, I'm going to try one of those jump bikes. I need to like get out, move around, air out my head. Uh, so I did. And I got to say, it was fantastic. Um I really loved it. All the bikes in my neighborhood are uh, free for your first five rides. So they're trying to to get you hooked, right? Which I'm cool with. Were you wearing a helmet? No. Okay. Here's the thing, Julie. Why would I own a helmet? (laughs) I actually thought, and then I decided this was too dorky. I have a ski helmet. Mm -hmm. And I thought about putting on my ski helmet. And then I was like, no, just try the bike. Just try the bike. And then if it seems like something you're ever going to do again in your life, maybe it's time for the helmet. So um, anyway, I totally loved it. A few observations. I think I'm the last person on the planet using the dorky hand signals we learned when we were kids. You know, I'm still doing that. The right turn. Right. You know how I believe in blinkers. Yes. So 
these machines have no blinkers. They have no rear view mirrors. But anyway, it was it was transformative. I loved it so much on Saturday that I did it again on Sunday. And Julie, I took that bad boy up to Big Five and I bought myself a helmet. That's <laughs> what I yes. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That's good. Yep. Yeah. So do you pedal at all or yes. you just or Yeah, no, just you pedal. Motor? Is it m- mainly motoring? No, no, it's mainly uh, it's mainly pedaling. It's what they call of course I went to their website and they had a what do they call it? It's uh it's electric assist is what they call it. And they say it's like a normal bike with superpowers. And that's what I needed. <laughs> right. I needed just a little bit of a <laughs> Just a little bit of a boost. A boost. Anyway, so uh, one really good thing about it, too, on top of everything else, when you're riding a bike, there's no texting. There's no reading Twitter. There's not even any listening to podcasts, which is, I love doing that. It was just like me and the air. Where'd you go? Just around my neighborhood. Oh, okay. like I, But, you know, farther afield than I would normally go on a work. I, it was a self-guided tour of all the Halloween decorations. Because oh. my neighborhood, people go all out yeah. on their Halloween decorations. I think there are a lot of people who are professional set designers. That does not surprise me. You know, me. it's yeah. L.A. Mm-hmm. And so people, yeah. there are sound effects, there's lights and smoke. So I just did a little bit of that. Anyway, you can all find a new thing to bring joy in your life. I think now is a good time to go in search of that. Here's what I found, and I recommend it. The only thing that bums me out is that Jump is owned by Uber. And, you know, I was conducting a boycott of one against Uber because I feel like they are such bad corporate citizens. So I'm going to, as our mother used to say, I'm going to rise above my principles Mm -hmm. and stick with the Jump bike because it did the trick for me when I needed a little bit of an emotional lift. All right. Well, if you need a little bit of an emotional lift, head over to the Satellite Sisters Facebook group too. There's lots of there's lots yeah. of supportive, wonderful Positivity people there. Yeah. And support yeah. going on there. Yeah. Yes. So intentional kindness is happening at the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. Every, every day. Every day. Joy. Yeah. It's just busting mm-hmm. out all over over there. Right. So if you listen to the show, we would love to have you at the Facebook group. You know, just a note, we are gonna close the Facebook group. Uh, I, Which doesn't mean shut it down. No, it, it means it changing means, the designation. Right, changing it. Right now, it's an open group, and we're going to make it a private group. It's an open group because we didn't know anything about Facebook when we started the group. <laughs> it's not. It wasn't. We weren't trying to trap anyone. So now we're going to close the group, so you can join, and then your posts and everything will be private. Uh, you'll be able to see the page if you're searching for it, but you won't be able to see anything anyone posts. Yeah. So for those of you who are already members, right. nothing will change. Nothing will change. Just do not get alarmed when. You, you will get a notice from Facebook when that happens. So we just wanted to let people know. But we've noticed that most other groups are closed, that many of you have asked us, could you please close this group? We didn't know what that was, so then we, <laughs> we had to do some research. It's very, very handy. Totally on top of it now. Yeah, we're 10 on Ten years it. later. We're on it. So mm-hmm. that that's what we're going to do. But that is a, a source of joy. And, you know, people have been posting about the things that have happened this week in a really meaningful way. So that's what you can yes, do. Yes, no trolling, right? It's right. A, it's a no trolling zone. Let's do that. No trolling. All right, coming up, we're going to be talking to Maureen Cavanaugh. Her book is If You Love Me. It's about her daughter's opioid addiction. So stay tuned. I mean, it's just an extraordinary story. And uh, and I, I look forward to speaking with her. We're back. We're the Satellite Sisters, Leanne, Liz, and Julie here. And we are happy to welcome to the show Maureen Cavanaugh. Maureen wrote our Satellite Sisters book club pick for October, If You Love Me. The subtitle is A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Opioid Addiction. And if you think, oh, that sounds like a book I don't know I can, if I can read, 
you should pick it up and mm-hmm. you should read this because it's moving and it's memorable. And Maureen, we're so happy to welcome you to Satellite Sisters. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And thank you for such a nice introduction. You know, you have gotten a lot of great reviews for this book, but I want to read you something from Becky on our Facebook page. Uh, She's a regular listener and she said, I don't have a question. I just want to thank her for writing it. This it's like she lived with my family. Mm -hmm. Lived with my family and reported on what was going on for the last several years. Thank you. Yeah. People really need to Thank you, Maureen. And Becky started it. Yeah, sorry, I got totally choked up there. What is it like for you to hear reviews like that? Is that I, I actually I you know what it sounds sounds like I'm just you know making I get I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps every time I say that because every time I hear something like that, because I know what this would have meant to me when I was first going through this to see, really see that somebody else was going through the same thing, that somebody else had done all the craziness, that somebody else's child who was wonderful and beautiful and special and the most important person in the world to that that person had gone down this road. And because when it's happening, you cannot believe that it's happening to you and you can't believe that it's ever happened in the same way to anybody else either. Yeah, we're going to talk about that because that's what comes through in the book is just this rabbit hole and this circle of chaos. But I wanted to start with a couple of things. First of all, how is your daughter doing today? My daughter is the person that no one thought would pull out of this is doing amazing. Um, She's back to being herself. She's got a little over 16 months She's got a full-time job. She went back to school part-time. She just got engaged. I tell people, uh, last week, her biggest problem was what kind of chicken she was going to make in the crock pot, (laughs) which that was the last thing I would have ever thought possible. I mean, I hope that she would come back from this, but I never thought that I would completely get her back after all of that, and I feel like I have. For those of you... Yeah, for those of you who haven't read If You Love Me, here are just a couple of startling numbers to think about as you listen to Maureen telling the story about how her daughter is today. Over the two-and-a-half-year period of the book, your daughter OD'd, you think, about 13 times. She was OD'd and revived 13 times. She was in and out of about 40 rehab facilities. You as a mom and then as an advocate connected with thousands of families going through the same thing, and you were on this 24-7 cycle of chaos. Does does that about sum up what that time period was like? Yeah. I, I mean, she's actually, she overdosed 13 times that brought her to medical treatment. I have no idea how many times she overdosed when was Narcan by people because I know that that happened too. So it's, it's just like, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that all that happened, but that's pretty good. Yeah. Synopsis. How did she feel about you writing this book? <clears throat> Um, I think that, you know, she sees the need to, and she's happy and I knew she would be, I talked to her a lot while I was writing it and I knew she would be okay with it. I don't know if she thought she'd ever live to see it published. Um, and then when it was published or right before it was published, I offered to have her and she was by this time sober, um, no, that's actually, that's not true. So she was only out of the treatment center three days when the book went out to the publishers. So, you know, I asked her if she wanted to read it and she was not ready to read it at that point. So it was, 
she it was out there by the time she read it. It was right before it was actually came out. It came out in September, and um, she's read it three times now, and she loves it. So wow. she wants to she wants to give back, and so many people have reached out to her personally that I feel like um, I think she you know this is giving her an opportunity to give back as well. What is it given to you then? What what have you gotten from the book being out there? Oh, well, you know, I tell people that um, I, I grew up in a family full of substance use disorder and I distanced myself. And in a family where no one talked about these things, my nickname was Miss Closed Mouth. <laughs> really? So I was I was like the queen of not talking about it. Um, so it's been very interesting to to know that. Like I meet people now and they're, they, oh, they're like, how's Randy? And I'm like, do you know Randy? Oh no, I read the book. And I'm like, oh my God, I forget. And that people tease me about the Ben and Jerry's thing. And I, I think to myself, how do you know that? And then I remember that I've just told everything, you know? Um, But I was, you know, I'm very involved in the recovery community. I'm very involved in, um, in advocacy and, trying to offer support through my nonprofit, Magnolia New Beginnings and the support groups. So this is just, it's beginning to give give me a bigger platform and the ability to talk, which is why I wrote the book. I want people to know they're not alone, but I also want to talk to people that think it can't happen to them or think that they're, they're, it couldn't, you know, and not in a snobby way, because a lot of us think this can't happen to me because I, you know, I took my children to, to uh, church and we had Sunday dinner and they have a strong family that loves them. And I say, well, all those same things were true for me. And it still happened. You know, I, and she was like the apple of everybody's eye because she was just so sweet, you know, but, and it still happened. So I want people to know that because when we think it can happen to us and it happens only to somebody else, we're less likely to pitch in and try to do something about it. And, this with the problem as severe as it is, and as many people, 72,000 people dying last year, the size of, you know, tell people picture a full football stadium. That's 72,000 people. It's just shocking. It's just like when you think about that visual of every seat in the football stadium being filled. Right. And I'm talking about the NFL, you know, not that, not just like a high school thing, but a full football stadium with every person. And then every person that's in there also has a whole family, you know, families that love them and love and other loved ones and children. This is devastating. We have to all come together and do something about this and be strong in, in, in that idea that something has to be done because it continues to get worse so it's given me a bit of a platform for that. And that is truly the reason that I wrote the book. Maureen, let's go back to the beginning of her opioid abuse, at least when you were first aware of it, because now you have this platform and now you're the expert you don't want to be, right? But um, did you have any idea what she was drawing you into when you were first aware she was stealing things from you? You saw track marks. You realized what was happening. How naive were you about what you were facing? Well, it was worse than that. I mean, she told me in the beginning that she had experimented and I got her into an outpatient program. But I thought when she went through the outpatient program that she was fixed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, because I'm the kind of person that just takes care of things. You know what I mean? I don't I, I, I thought we were on top of it. 
So I was so naive and and so unaware of 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 just how bad this could get, and that it could. I go keep going back to that that it could happen to her, because here she was. Not only was she this great kid, but she had made some mistakes and had experimented with drugs and came to her mother for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this is like now this is not even the last person you would expect for this to happen to. This is like less than the last person that you would expect this. And um, so I was totally, and I didn't have any idea what to do. None. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, she, there's this cycle of chaos I'm going to get to, but at one point I feel like in the book, in the beginning of the book, you see there's just this horror, this acceptance of the horror that it's going to be when your daughter is actually arrested for prostitution and it's in the hometown newspaper for everyone Mm -hmm. to see. Was that a turning point for you in understanding that this was going to be worse than you ever thought? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, up until that point, I think I thought that we would fix this still, that we would take care of it quietly, that nobody would ever know that that was still possible. And, um, and because that's what we were trying to do, but she was at that point, I didn't even know where really where she was. I had an idea. Um, but that shattered that idea. And, you know, and, and that was probably the only good thing that happened out of that, because that idea needed to be shattered. There was no reason to be quiet. There was no reason, reason to keep it quiet, because we're not ashamed of our, our family members when they get cancer or they get diabetes, even if they had been smoking like a chimney and they and they get lung cancer, which is what happened to my mother. That's what happened to my mother. Nobody was ashamed of her. Right. Everybody was like on board with getting a treatment. And instead, this is, you know, this is something, yes, did she try drugs the first time? I mean, that's always that, yes, she did. But whatever that was triggered her into this addiction and um, when she was sick. And instead of looking at it like that, I think that I was still of the mindset that, you know, if we could quietly fix this, nobody would ever need to know. And there are, you know, reasons why you don't want anybody to know, but she's you know, has to worry about jobs and apartments, stuff like that, that she'll be judged for the rest of her life on, on this one period that, you know, hopefully is behind her. Um, but, um, the, I mean, the thing that really changed for me was that I realized how, how desperate she was because I, I knew my daughter and I knew that the stealing and the prostitution was not who she was. And, you know, really realized how bad this was for her. Um, And I stopped being quiet. You know, Maureen, this is Julie. I think that whole, that, that the theme of shame that comes through the book was one that really resonated with me because you write so honestly about how it did kind of, you did want to keep it quiet and, you know, you, and it, but it blocked both your recovery and her recovery because at one point you were, you were focused on that. Do you find that that's pretty common with parents, with, you know, loved ones that are trying to help someone who's addicted, you know, the shame of things gets in the way. And, you know, this is my, this is my way of making that, of changing that to be completely honest and all out there. And now that I, I, you know, the, you, you know, better, so you do better. And that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, there was, 
you have to remember too, I grew up in this. Mm -hmm. So it was always, and this is, you know, I grew up, I'm not a spring chicken. So it was a while ago. (laughs) And, um, and, um, you know, it was always drilled into my head. You don't talk about what goes on. So I think there was some of that that came back, but you know, the one that really was, she taught me an enormous lesson was Katie when she was arrested and they, they, disgusting, display of um of like uh, of be, uh, thinking that a small town newspaper could be a tabloid um that they they ran that article um marblehead honor student arrested for prostitution how disgusting is that yeah and she wrote to them the next day and told them that you know that it was because of her her heroin addiction and that people should understand that people do desperate things because not because they're bad people but because of these drugs that they're so strong and i was like blown away and i was thought to myself my god she does not have to apologize for anything but the fact that she was just so out there and honest really gave me courage to write this book you know one of the things that uh speaks to, I think, a lot of people in the book who've been through this. It's just this constant circle of lying, broken promises. Then there's the hope when they get into a new treatment center. And then there's the disappointment. It's just around and around again. When you were in the middle of that, Maureen, how did that feel to you? And how did you gain perspective on that? Or did you have a little bit of hope that was killed every single time? I think every time she went back in and tried again, I tried again with her, you know, because as bad as 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 awful as I felt about all of this, I I knew that she felt twice as bad. I mean, because not only was she disappointed in herself, but she was watching her whole life fritter away. Um, so I I always try to remind people of that, that you know, it's an awful thing for families to go through, but as as awful as it is for us, imagine how they must feel, yeah. you know, because the same, the same disappointments, nobody goes in, in, into a treatment center thinking they're, they're, you know, that they, they don't want to get well. They have a little shred of hope, but they can't hang on to it. And she couldn't hang on to it in order to get through a lot of them and in a lot, in, in order to stay sober after leaving them. She just didn't believe in herself at that point. Yeah, there were so many times in the book when she looked at you and said, just let me go, mommy. What does that feel like when your daughter says that? Oh, my God, I can't even tell you. That's why the name of the book is If You Love Me, because she said to me one one, morning, I guess it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and she was sitting on my kitchen floor after a relapse, and I looked at her and I said, Katie, honey, I love you and you're going to die. And she said, if you really loved me, you'd let me die. And I mean, I don't, I, I, I think that talk about the, you know, the light really shining through on a problem. I, at that point, finally, really, they thought I understood before, but I really understood how much pain she was in. Mm. Uh, And um, it made me, it made me fight harder, I think, for her, because I knew she didn't have anything left. You know, one of the things that seems to have saved you, Maureen, and now is a huge part of your life, is that you sought support fairly early in this journey from other parents. You reached out to whatever support groups there were. 
And, and then that became your whole world in many ways. But how did that help? How did connecting with other families that were going through this, how did that help initially? Well, they say, you know, addiction is a disease of isolation. People um, are not, don't feel, if they felt more connected, and that's why the 12-step the groups, I think, I mean, for many reasons they work, but that's one of the reasons, is because you're able to connect to other people. But we don't think about that as a family because, the, the, you know, everybody is going through this. This is a, di- a disease affects everybody in the family. So um, I fought it for, for the beginning. I wish I had gone sooner. Mm. As soon, you know, I, I went fairly soon, but not soon enough. I should have gone before that, knowing that I wasn't alone and then also finding other people to talk to and listen to them about how they handle things. And um, I mean, that was pivotal, I think. But your daughter is still with us. A lot of those people you connected with, I mean, their kids would be fine. They'd be out of rehab. It was great. And then they'd be gone the next day. That happens time and time again in the book. What is help us understand what that feels like when you're the friend? Like, what? how do you comfort that mother, that father? Well, I think that, you know, most of my friends that have lost children, and I have a lot, un, unbelievably have a lot of friends that have lost children, um, I think we all understand that we will do basically this, you know, everybody has different ideas about how to handle this and what to do, but many of us did all of the same things, and unfortunately there the luck ran out you know what I mean because any point she could have died Mm -hmm. so I really can't chalk it up to anything other than the fact that she lasted through those overdoses and was able to um stay alive another day and um hopefully you know we'll all she will and I will find a way to pay that forward but um I mean, it's it's really does feel like it's just a matter of of luck. I I always told her my job after I got sane was to um, keep her alive as long as I could because I always felt I feel like everybody would get well if they just had enough time. But unfortunately, these drugs are so awful and so strong that they're killing people before they have the opportunity to get well. Mm-hmm. Just going back to that idea of when you got sane, there are a couple of, well, there are many points <laughs> well, in the book. Relatively speaking. Okay. Not, right. <laughs> Give yeah. yourself a little credit. Well, yeah. I have to say the no, one point. I want to say, too, it, the book is funny. It thoughts. is. It's, yeah. Old, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. Because I have a very dark kind of crazy sense of humor, which is what got me through this. Yeah. So yes. I just want to it's not all doom and gloom. No, it's not. Oh. I mean, the one point in the book where I started to laugh was where you, you just had a complete meltdown outside the Whole Foods. And just... <laughs> oh, I was, my God. That was, that was... You just... You said you snapped. You were in the car. You just started screaming at a woman. I'm like, I have screamed at people outside of Whole Foods, and I don't have half this going on in my life. Oh, my God. But you didn't run them off the road, hopefully. <laughs> That's true. That's true, Maureen. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. No, I'm still afraid to go to that Whole Foods. I'm afraid she's going to see me again. (laughs) I think that's wise, frankly. It's wise. Oh, no, she's afraid of me. Trust me. (laughs) It did seem, though, like it was hard to imagine you could do anything else in the outside world. That becomes, uh, you know, a very, very small world like you, your daughter versus the addiction and all the other people you're caring for. I wondered, like, how is she even going to work or 
doing laundry or paying your taxes? Like, how 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 do you get out of that? It was so tiny, your world, for a while. Yeah. I had no choice. Yeah. You know, and that's what happens, I think, when you have no choice. But um, I and I am one of those people that um, I have to be doing something about it. So that's what I mean. That's really what happened is I accumulated so much knowledge. I became like. I read every book. I talked to everybody. I connected with people. And then I created Magnolia. And then all the the connections that happened because of that, um, I think that – and then I started to help other people because she wouldn't let me help her, which was, you know, good. And then I realized that I shouldn't be helping her later on, that it should be somebody else. But I wound up with all of this this knowledge. So it worked out for the best. But I had an insurance business that I kind of ran into the ground during this period of time. I mean, it did have a lot of, you know, it was it was hard because I couldn't work and I couldn't think straight. And I at one point, you know, I talk about going on on um, an anti-anxiety medication because I was so anxious that I couldn't even finish a sentence. You know, we'd be, I'd be talking to somebody and then I would lose track of what they were saying. And I hear this a lot from people. I'd be in the conversation, but then I'd lose track of what everybody was saying and I would pick it back up again and they would not be talking about the same thing. And I just felt like I was living like outside of myself, that I was never where I was. I was always trying to figure out what to do about her or worrying about her. Is that common? I mean, you now you work with thousands of parents. Would you say thousands? I mean, you become yeah. this advocate. Yeah. You you become this touchstone. You you speak for people. You reach out for people, and that's sort of common. Like they just they're in this swirl, this cycle, and they can't see see the outside world. When they read the book, when they when I when I talk about how I how I felt, they're um, I think everybody's shocked that I'm saying this things that they felt too, but you're, it's so awful that you don't, you don't verbalize it, you know? And, um, I think that it's incredibly common for people to feel like that and, um, and to just let themselves go and their health go and their other relationships go and their relationships with their other children go. And, um, I think that that's more common than, than not. Um, we're, we're going to wrap up here in a second. I, we could talk all day, but I wanted to ask, and we had a question on our Facebook and it's a good one about how can the rest of us learn to be better neighbors? You know, was there something that could have helped Katie that someone on the outside could have done originally? Or if we, we have a friend. I love that question. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, people, there were people that knew before I did that didn't say anything. That was number one. Number two is, I would say, reach out to people when when something like this happens. When I was um, when I um, found out that she was uh, arrested, and um, I you know expected, I, I thought to myself, what am I going to say when everybody starts calling? <laughs> and this this was not a problem because nobody called. Nobody not else. one person. Yeah. One person, a friend of my son's mother called me, but of all, and I worked in the town where I lived and I was felt like a leper and I was in pain and I needed people. So I think we reach out, you know what I mean? That, that whether it's to say, listen, I don't want to be the one to tell you this, but I know that this is happening to your child. I don't know why somebody hadn't done that. And I don't understand why when it became public, that no one reached out. 
I, I don't understand that. So I think that what's the worst that could happen? I mean, I reach out to people all the time now. When somebody passes away, I see somebody, I reach out to their families and I say, I'm so sorry, I've been through this. Or um, even if it's not related to drugs, it doesn't have to, but anything, I just find that show people a little bit of compassion. If somebody doesn't want to talk to you and they tell you, well, I, I'll be okay with that rather than leaving somebody alone in their In pain. their isolation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good advice. It is good advice in, in many situations these days, uh, Maureen. So um, so what's what's next for you and when you think about your life? What happens now for you? Um, well, I'm seeing where the book takes me. That's, uh, that's one thing I'm hoping to do more speaking. Um, I really want very much to get in front of people, um, that may not be familiar with this and kind of explain how it happened, how, what I, what I saw as a parent, what I didn't see. And I see now, and I just want to put a face on this because, we're still doing this in, in, in shame, you know, in, in quietly and in, in being ashamed and uh, the stigma is still there. So I want very much to get out in, in front of people and show people who this happens to and that people can recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the most important thing I think I did, I want is I always told her I loved her. And there's I know there's a lot of ideas about tough love and all that kind of but you can have boundaries and still tell your child or your loved one that you love them every day, even if you won't allow certain things. Right. That is very touching in the book when you do that, because those are at some of the darkest moments, the darkest conversations you have with her. You end those conversations with I love you, which is it's, it's a humbling thing to read about. Yeah. It's and humbling. even when you didn't know where she was, sometimes you two would be texting back and forth with those kinds right. of messages. It was very powerful. Right, Maureen. I never knew, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know if I'd ever speak to her again. And I wanted that to be the last thing that I said to her. If that's what happens. But we have to remember that none of us ever know if we're going to speak to the person that we love again. And that, you know, those three, those three words are so important and, and so easy, you know, and we hold them back and we shouldn't. Well, you're a wonderful writer. I mean, yes, I, I yes. was, I your publisher great sent to read it. Yeah, your publisher sent us this book. I read it in August. I had an advanced copy, and I was about three quarters of the way through. I read it in a single sitting, uh, and I called up my sister Liz. I was like, "Oh, we have our book club pick. This mm-hmm. is an extraordinary oh, that's story. Awesome. Thank it's you. beautifully, it's beautifully written." So I hope you do more writing, and I hope you do more speaking, and uh, and I think you've just done a remarkable job with this story because there's been a lot in the news about this. If you've looked for years you know you can find everything from sports illustrated to the new york times but this is the first parent account that i've read and i think that's what makes it so powerful is because it's really your story it's not your story through uh reporters words yeah yeah well Well, i i I hope it touches people and i hope they learn something from it Mm -hmm. I know we did. I know we did. Maureen, thank you so much for joining us on Satellite Sisters today. We wish you and Katie and your whole family all the all the all the best of luck and uh, continued good health. Oh, thank you so much. You're so kind. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, thank Maureen. you, Maureen. Bye, Maureen. Bye, bye.
Listeners, if you want more on this, in the show notes, we have not only a link to the book, but to the website for Magnolia, where you can get all the information about her program, and to the Facebook group, which is where it's sort of counseling and talk among people that are going through this. So that is all in the show notes and will also be on our website. Yeah, I was so happy to hear that her daughter was okay. Yes, because in the book, it is you don't still really know. so day to day. You don't have a sense of that. She sounds mm-hmm. better than okay. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's... I mean, it's not necessarily a happy ending. Like, you don't know. It's a it's an right. ending with a lot of question marks in the book. So that was really extraordinary to hear. And wow, Maureen Kavanaugh, great to speak with her. Yes. So, Liz, that's so plain spoken. I want to say I also listened to the audiobook. I read the book book and then I listened to the audio book. Oh, and you know, you hear how like just what a normal, loving, just regular person she is, and that totally comes across in the audio books. And we know how hard it is to do an audio book. Right. So she right. did a fantastic job with the audio of this one, if you prefer to listen, uh, to read. All right. The power of love. It is. Yeah. Yep. And a little bit of luck. Yeah. Which she yes. said. And mm-hmm. a little bit of luck. That's what it was for her daughter. So continued good health to them both. All right, we have some time to do a little Halloween material yeah. here before before we sign off for the day. Little like, good news. Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, in the spirit of finding more joy in your life, I am totally loving all of the Halloween photos that are showing up on Facebook in general, but in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. You know, it just, whether it's a grown-up dressed up as... Come on, Ruth Vader Ginsburg, the that combo of Ruth that Vader was, Ginsburg and Darth. That was a pretty good one. Yes. That, that I see has been circulated very widely. I love that. So I love seeing the adult costumes. Kids' costumes are always awesome. And even some of your dog get-ups, <laughs> I have never created or put my dog in a costume. But knock yourselves out if you're doing it. Doesn't it make you smile, Julie, when you see that yes, stuff? Yes, it does. I think that's I, I think it's all good. It's all it all makes me happy. And I hope People are enjoying themselves and their children and their pets yes. and their neighbors and everything else. Yes. yes. So bring on the Halloween photos, just like we love your graduation photos, your prom photos. We want your Halloween photos. So I'll say that. Then 2018, I know it's time for our to-do list, but I was thinking the time is starting to run out for your to-do list for the year. You know how you had a couple of things, maybe a handful of things. You're like, okay, 20. I don't remember what I had on my list. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can't remember them, do you still have to do them? <laughs> no, nope. That's the no. rule. Yep, that's the law. Okay. Nope. Okay, I'm free and clear. As long as I don't listen back to that podcast, I should be all set. <laughs> okay. Carry on. What well, about you, Liz? You in the spirit of remember. Halloween, in the spirit of Halloween, Julie, I would say one thing that is haunting me, that's been haunting me all years. Every month when I get the ding and it's like what my cell phone bill is. I've been thinking to myself, like, this is ridiculous. I'm paying this much for my cell phone. And I knew that I should just, like, could just get some kind of different plan. Like, there must be something I'm doing wrong. There's no way that one person, one cell phone, it should be this much. So this weekend, uh, once I've been inspired by riding my jump bike around, I I just went into that AT&T store, and I said to the trainee, Melvin, who was super nice, I was like, Melvin, I am paying too much for my cell phone. Can you help me figure that out? And he was, yes, I can. And boom, boom, boom. It didn't even take that long. He looked at me. He said, wow, this plan you have, we don't even sell those anymore. I was like, yes, Melvin. Melvin, I know. Marvin, Melvin. Melvin was his name. (laughs) I was like, I know you were in elementary school when I signed up for this plan in 2007 when the first iPhone came out. But I had one of those. He's like, 
we don't even so you pay separately for like phone, text and data? No. No, you don't want to do that. So boom boom boom, filled out the form, hit a few keys, cut my bill in half. In half. Just because I went in and asked. So I'm super grateful. I feel like that might be one of my biggest accomplishments for the year actually. <laughs> Just, that is a lot, Liz. I'm impressed. <laughs> and I toyed with the idea of buying a new phone. You know, I have an iPhone 6, and I was looking at the new ones. The new, right. They, they were just all too big. big. They were like, yeah. And I said, uh, Marvin, Melvin, should I should I get an 8? And he just looked at me. And he's like, the side eye is like, no, there's no point in just stepping up to an 8. You got to go all the way or nowhere. Right. He's like, he said, I would just keep what you have. So, again, I love this guy. <laughs> Thank you. So that's a major accomplishment for me. It's just one of those simple things. It takes like not very much time, but you never do it, right? So I did it. Boom. We do it every time we go in and get a new phone. We you do? We have them review the bill and tell us if there's a better plan. But I yeah, have some, never done some it. Some people do it, Liz. <laughs> but, but good for you. I'm glad you're on it now. Okay, check. 2018, <laughs> huge accomplishment. Okay. <laughs> Julie, what do you have on your to-do list? Big day today. I am voting. We have early voting in Texas, so I am going to vote this afternoon. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also buying my Halloween candy. I wait to the last possible moment so that I won't break into it. So <laughs> those are my two things, voting and candy. Leanne, how about you? What's well, on your to-do list? Well, you know, I, I set up the witch's house to distribute the candy uh, on my block, and so I have to do some final decorating. I put about half the decorations up just to let people know I'll be in business mm -hmm. on Halloween. And then I go all the way. Liz, I am excited. I did it yesterday. Pulled the trigger. I brought I bought a projection uh, light. So now <laughs> you've never. Oh, you're, well, Liam, we, you're in deep on yeah, Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Julie, it's a nine billion dollar business and I'm about a half of that. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I did projections on the house at Christmas time and it, it really looked great. Snowflakes. <laughs> so I had to go to several stores to find the witch projection. It's a witch's house. Liz. Yeah, I know. So yeah, I have yeah. witches riding on brooms that I'll, I'm going to be projecting on the house. Wow, I might have to come over. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And then, you know, I got my sassy wish costume that I'm going to be putting on and my yeah. makeup and everything and my candy. I'm, I'm good to go. I feel like I'm representing this year. But I'm going to set a in on the Facebook page. Just hand out candy and be kind. That's there right. You right. To yeah, everyone, whoever comes to your door, door just give them candy. Mm -hmm. to no questions. No, no judgment. No or treats. Yeah. Just nope. give them the candy. No. Nope. <laughs> the best trick or treater I ever had was like, a hundred-year-old Chinese woman with no teeth. I could tell she just thought this was the greatest thing in the world, that in America you could show up and people would give you candy. She was the best trick-or-treater I've ever had, the yep. thousands of trick-or-treaters I've had. So this is the year just to give the candy out yes. and enjoy every minute of it. All right, we would like to thank our engineer, Sergio Enriquez, for helping us out as always. We'd like to thank our guest, Maureen Cavanaugh. It was great to see her. We would like to thank our sponsors, Nectar Sleep, Salsa Basket, Brooklinen, and Ritual. Thanks so much for supporting Women's Voices on the Air and Satellite Sisters, and thanks, Sisterhood, for supporting the people that support us. Liz, you're raising your hand. I am raising my hand. I just wanted to. Well, here's another thing I accomplished this week oh. regarding the Satellite Sisters shop. Yeah. Okay. So I know we announced last week the brand new shop. You can go there. If you go to SatelliteSisters.com, it's in the upper right-hand corner. You see the cute Stay Noisy picture of the three of us together in our Stay Noisy t-shirts. Just click there. It'll take you through. Here's what I figured out how to do this week, sisters. How to put the Satellite Sisters logo on the back of all the tees and hoodies that say, like, 
Urban Nana or Stay Noisy, all of that other stuff where it says something different on the front. Yeah. Like last year, I couldn't quite figure out how to get this art logo on the back. Now, if you click through, you'll be able to see which products have logos front and back. It costs an extra four bucks or something, but it's totally <laughs> but it's worth, worth it. it. I, or- I ordered some of that loose. Yeah. So, so <laughs> if, you, if you got last year's Stay Noisy sweatshirt, you might want to get this year's Stay Noisy T-shirt. Because it has both the front and the back. I, I'm just saying. I'm trying to Product learn. Product obsolescence, Liz. You <laughs> learned it from some of the masters. There you go. Right? You'll have fun shopping at the Satellite Sister Shop. I'm just saying that. You will enjoy yourselves. Liz, thank you for thank you for doing that. Thank you for all your hard work on the store. Thank I you. think it's keeping you young, Liz. All, learning all these new things. I think so, too. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. I think it's keeping you young. All right, sisters, uh, have a great week. You too, Liam. You too. And don't forget, call your satellite sisters.